So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. Right at the beginning. Luke chapter 1. Yeah. So we meet on Sundays. You may have noticed that. If you've ever wondered why we meet on Sundays, it's because Jesus rose from the dead on a... Sunday. Sunday, very good. Uh, we have this annual resurrection uh, Sunday meeting where we have like a barbecue and we get a little bit more excited because Jesus rose and then uh, churches around the world uh, celebrate similarly. Um, and also this annual uh, reminder allows us to have this story that we just heard that the kids are doing Doubting Thomas. If you know your Bibles at all, you will know that's because the Doubting Thomas scenario happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And so uh, uh, Sam's made sure that they're tracking this story of the resurrection. And uh, similarly, hopefully, we've done it too. So we've had the triumphal entry, this Psalm, uh, this Palm Sunday. We had the Last Supper. Uh, we had um, the, the betrayal by Judas, and you have this story leading up to the climax of the crucifixion. We had Good Friday, we all went into Queen Square and we remembered the moment where they hung Jesus on the cross for our sins. And then there were those, uh, uh, there's that Saturday of silence, of mourning, of wondering what's going to happen. And then the story uh, really hits a new high because the tomb is empty. The soldiers are terrified. The um, stone has been moved. There's angels, there's gardeners who are actually Jesus. And and there's all these different dynamics going on and it helps build our anticipation. It leads up to this moment that we can go, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And this morning, I am going to suggest that we, we treat the, he the weeks ahead in a similar way. How and why? Well, let me paint you a picture or let me reveal to you a picture that already exists very clearly in Scripture. Now, uh, you hopefully know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Uh, if your Bible's anything like mine, the New Testament's a lot more thumbed and dirtier in the book uh, than the Old Testament because it's a little harder sometimes to get to grips with it. Uh, and, um, but you may not know, but between the Old and the New Testament, there's about 400 years. 400 years of Israelite history that we don't have a section for the Bible that accounts for it. One of the reasons for this is that it was commonly seen as the Holy Spirit wasn't as active in this time. It's an intertestamental period. Uh, if you are Catholic, you might have uh, the, uh, um, some intertestamental books like the Maccabees. Um, and, uh, but we don't. We have uh, this Old Testament, New Testament, we have a, a kind of a 400 year gap. And what you have in that 400 years is you don't have any prophets. There is a lack of visions. There uh, doesn't seem to be any inspired revelations. The divine guidance seems to be minimal and there's certainly no miraculous deeds. So you have this Old Testament, New Testament gap of 400 years where the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't say is absent, but it is not headline news. And as you think on that, as you think of the Old Testament and all that the Holy Spirit does, and as you think of that 400 year gap, I want you to read with me Luke chapter 1 verse 8 because it should have some new impetus, some new, something uh, uh, new to say to you. Um, and it says this in Luke chapter 1 verse 8. 
once when Zechariah's division was on duty, so he's a priest and he's just going through the schedule, the rota, um, and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled. Everyone say filled. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Everyone say spirit. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is like fresh rain on a dry and parched land. It is announced that the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, evident again. He is going to be found amongst God's people. They have suffered 400 years of silence. They have not seen him clearly anywhere and now he suddenly comes in and he is going to be found in a baby. That spirit-inspired prophets, the heroes, the leaders and the miracle workers, perhaps they are going to come too. Perhaps all that the spirit had in, uh, inspired in the Old Testament, perhaps it was going to come back and do some new things. And this announcement to Zechariah is the beginning of a new hope, a new movement. And Luke goes to great efforts throughout his two accounts, throughout Luke and throughout Acts, to increase this expectation, to get people to go, oh, this Holy Spirit, he was really good in the Old Testament. I wonder if he's going to be as good in the New. And Luke says, yes. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 34. This is the next sort of mention of the Holy Spirit. And we have this young girl, Mary, probably a, uh, a teenager. And this angel says, you're going to uh, give birth to the Son of God. And Mary has lots of questions, uh, but the most obvious one is, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered this, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most, most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Elizabeth points up, thanks very much. Um, and she who is said to be unable to consider this in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. When the arrival of Jesus is proclaimed, we are, the, we are told the Spirit is involved there too. But he doesn't just fill Jesus from the beginning. He is going to be involved in the conception of Jesus. Now, we haven't got uh, a real biological explanation of what is going on, but we do know that somehow the Holy Spirit came over Mary and Jesus was born. It was a miracle. It never happened before and it's never happened since. It was not something that you can scientifically replicate and test. 
And then this breaks out and the Holy Spirit starts going on in the narrative. And there is a praise party because the two expectant mums come together and these two pregnant ladies start to have a praise party. This blossoms out in song when she sees young Mary and she senses in her this arrival of the Messiah. And John the Baptist, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit before birth, something that's never been recorded in Scripture before, he dances in her womb. She may not have been glad about that as he jiggled around, but it seems to have been something exceptional, something remarkable, something holy. And these two women come together and they celebrate it. And just as the start, uh, just as the end of Jesus' story is uh, filled with women, because we don't know what the men are up to, right at the start of the story, we find these two women enjoying the Holy Spirit. That something new is coming right at the dawn of a new age. And when Jesus is born, he's presented at the temple, and the Holy Spirit breaks out again. We have Simeon who comes and prophesies and sees that this is the Messiah, and finally uh, uh, he can uh, uh, pass away. And uh, Anna, this prophetess, this lady that has been faithfully serving in the temple, she also sees that this is the Messiah. And we have this cumulative effect. This anticipation grows through the Holy Spirit is doing something. John the Baptist, his messenger, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The women were having a praise party when they came. And then at the temple, the Holy Spirit was just multiplying different people. And the story of Jesus is the story of the Holy Spirit, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Wherever Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is too. And then, um, when he's 12 years old, Jesus is at Jerusalem for a festival. And it is obvious that even now, he is firing on all cylinders in the spirit. He comes and there are wise men, there are old teachers, there are uh, revered priests. And he comes and he brings questions that they're like, this guy knows something we don't. This guy has something to say that we have not heard before. And then so he speaks and he questions and he teaches with a wisdom and grace that can only come from the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus, as he becomes uh, an adult and as he's baptised under John the Baptist's uh, ministry, we see the very same spirit and he's seen descending. And it says like a dove. So it might have been he was in the physical form of a dove or there was something fluttering about this entity that came down. But there was a sign. Not that Jesus was now filled with the spirit, but uh, uh, that the people were to see this was someone empowered by the living God. Spirit then sends Jesus into the desert to be tempted and leads him after that to read the scroll of Isaiah and to preach the good news. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads him to cast out impure spirits and leads him to say and do incredible things that people have been marvelling over for 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit is important at every stage of Jesus' life in the book of, uh, in the book of Luke. And then, there is a twist, there is a flourish, there is an amplification. If you've got uh, a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm afraid I'm rushing 
through things because I want to create that uh, sense of anticipation. So it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And there is this identification of Jesus with his disciples that is special. And the 72 who had been sent out returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were excited because they were seeing success in helping people around them. And Jesus replied, this is a great verse for people to take out of context. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And there is this thing. Don't get uh, in front of yourselves. Don't get uh, worked up about this power. The most important thing is the grace of God in your lives. And he goes on in verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy. Where did the joy come from? And Luke tells us very simply, this joy that he was full of was through the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Excellent. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, said this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, from all the clever bods that are in the universities, all the clever bods that are in the temple, all the experts that thought they knew everything, and he'd revealed it to fishermen who are not top of the economic pile, let me tell you. You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son. There is this close identification. This is, um, this is things that uh, you should go, ooh, that smells like the Trinity, and you'd be right. There's, it doesn't say it, but there is a close identification of Father and Son. Um, and uh, then it goes on. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, took them aside and he says this, Blessed are your eyes that see what you see. This is the beginning, beginning of the kingdom of God. This is something that people long ago wished they would see. And people 2,000 years ago, if they had a time machine, it's probably one of the first things that they would go and visit. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but do not see it. And to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. And there is this these bunch of ragtag fishermen, these tax collectors, these people that are nothing have the Holy Spirit and are seeing stuff and wonders that kings and prophets from the Old Testament would have absolutely uh, 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 done anything to see. And so the kingdom of God is fast arriving and suddenly we find it's not just Jesus that's an agent of change, not just John the Baptist that's an agent of change, but we find these 72 disciples. We don't know their names. You know, some of us might be able to trot out a couple of the 12 disciples, but this is a 72, this is a wider community and they're out changing the spiritual landscape of the people around them. Perhaps, this is just the 72, perhaps this 
uh, healing and exorcism and all these other uh, supernatural activities. You know, it's just for the people that spend time with Jesus. You know, it's not for the likes of us sitting in a barn uh, in Bluebush, uh, however many centuries later. Well, I have a problem with that. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Next chapter. Everyone likes the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we had a funeral here uh, on Thursday, and even these people that had, uh, uh, couldn't tell you the first thing about Christianity, they were presented with something that their assemblies probably made them do uh, uh, many years ago. And it's the Lord's Prayer, and, and, and often uh, 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 even people with a, a very rusty understanding of Christianity know this. But I want to give you the full context of the Lord's Prayer in Luke. This is where Luke places the prayer that we are to model our prayer life on. And it says this in Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us, not into temptation. Then Jesus said to him, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me a loaf of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey, uh, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because he's a friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Everyone say audacity. Audacity. I'm glad that word's in there. With your shameless audacity, he will give up, however grudgingly, and get up and give you as much as you need just to get rid of you. doesn't say that last bit, but you get the sense of it. That is said in connection with prayer. I wonder how your prayer life is goes on verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. You can hear this pattern of press in and there will be a response. For everyone, everyone say everyone. Everyone. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone say receives. Receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, and you know what, I'm going to include mothers as well. Which of you, fathers and mothers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? We're not talking about pet snakes, domesticated ones that have been defangled at a pain. We're talking about venomous ones that will kill you. It would be balmy to give a son that had asked for something to eat to give him something deadly. Bonkers. If you then, though you are evil, no, you don't give a child a venomous snake when he asks for an egg. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? A lot more. That, the, when Jesus asks this question, the answer is a lot more. Okay. Not only does Jesus indicate in this little bit on teaching, 
He taught in these familiar words of Father, hallowed be your name, all that. Um, in this, uh, in this little recipe in how to pray, he says, when we pray, it's not to be a formula. It's not to be something that we just trot out once a, once a week. It says it's got to be part of an attitude inside where we are tenacious and audacious, where we ask for things a little more than perhaps we should, and that we are tenacious. We keep at it. Um, I'm not talking about you asking for uh, your private jumbo jet or a Rolls Royce or uh, these sort of uh, greedy, uh, selfish things. He's just told you the Lord's Prayer. He says daily bread. So the most you can ask for enough food for today. But your prayer life needs to be tenacious and audacious and it needs to be modelled on this, on uh, what Jesus says. The answer, let me tell you, to much of the Lord's Prayer is not our circumstances changing but more of the Holy Spirit. You want to hallow God's name? You want to lift him up? You want to praise him as holy? You need the God's spirit for you to recognise who God actually is, to give you a revelation of how pure and mighty and majestic and uh, wonderful he is. Do you want daily sustenance? Some bread is good, but being baptised in the Holy Spirit every day is better. To know that excitement, to know that revelation, to know that power, to know that confidence that it is not uh, another day of you uh, being battered by the world and losing, but by you having the Holy Spirit and finding victories therein. Do you want to forgive? You want to know how to forgive? You've got things in your heart that you can't forgive? You need the Holy Spirit. He will let it go. He will show you how to let it go. He will show you, you know what? God has forgiven you far more than anyone has done against you. And you learn to forgive. And you learn to live free and easy. And you learn to live not with a knot in your stomach of hate and resentment and memories that just tear you up. You learn to live free and easy. And you start to breathe and smile and live with a spring in your step. You want to live purely. You want to live in a way that honours God. You know that your mouth isn't some sort of uh, repository for uh, evil stuff. But it's the place of life. When when you speak, people feel better. When they're around you, they feel encouraged and motivated. Uh, But when they're around you, they feel like things are possible. You want to live like that, and then you need the Holy Spirit. We're given a clear indication right at the end of this Lord's Prayer. Ask for the Holy Spirit. That's the summary of so much of the Lord's Prayer. Ask for the Holy Spirit, and God will love to give it you. God will love to bless you with the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing most of us in the room are quite good at asking things for ourselves. Good for asking for provision. You know, good for asking for for raises and sort of new kitchens and for uh, all sorts of the uh, things that the salesmen sell us. When was the last time you asked for the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you spent time I'm talking 
time tenaciously and audaciously go, I want more of you, God. I've had, enough of, I've had enough of things, I've had enough of circumstances, I've had enough of all the hollow things the world offers. What I want, Jesus, is more of your spirit. When was the last time you asked and spent time in that? Now we move on. Uh, go by the turn to Luke chapter 24. chapter 24. Do love Luke and his uh, concentration on the Holy Spirit. He, he certainly uh, gets the mouth salivating. And it says this in Luke chapter 24, 45. Jesus opens their minds so they could understand scriptures. How many of us would like that in a, on a Monday morning devotional? Open their minds so they could understand scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. This thing, uh, that elsewhere it says, it's better that Jesus goes so that we can receive this Holy Spirit. And he says this, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay. Don't go anywhere. How many times we used to go, go, work, evangelise, tell your neighbour about Jesus, do stuff, make sure that when Jesus comes you're busy for him. And right at this point Jesus says, wait, you're not going out on your own steam as if you think your great ideas are going to do anything. What you want is power from my heavenly Father, this power that gave me joy, the power that allowed me to prophesy, the power that allowed me to see uh, troubled people feed. That's what you want, not your clever ideas. The good news is incredible. Hopefully we all believe that, but it's supposed to be carried by empowered people, not just by articulate speakers. It's supposed to be carried by children or uh, adults that are not wise and learned, but have got a simple faith. You are not, you have, you have all the qualifications you need to talk about Jesus if you have his spirit in you. But that power needs to be waited for. You don't steam off and hope the Holy Spirit catches up. How many times do we operate like that? The Holy Spirit is to be audaciously and tenaciously prayed for. Now, listen uh, to Luke's second instalment. If you go by the turn to Acts chapter 1, and it says this in verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, do not run about, do not go in your own strength, under your own steam. Wait. Wait. Everyone say, wait. Wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. Luke ended his gospel on it and now he begins 
his uh, annals of church history with the same instruction, wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. It's so easy for us as Pentecostals to hurry through the next 10 days to go, yeah, yeah, Jesus said, right, but when will we get to Pentecost? When everything uh, ignited, when it got excited, when Peter, who was shy, started speaking out loud to the crowds, when uh, the crowd suddenly confessed, what must we do to be saved? 3,000 that day was uh, uh, added to the church number. When people started escaping from prisons, where people started uh, shaking, off uh, uh, venomous snakes. But this morning I think we're encouraged to wait. And that's going to be our theme to the beginning of June. We're going to encourage you to wait. I believe we are being encouraged this morning to stop and rest. If you've never been baptised in the Spirit, but you know Jesus is your Saviour, this moment's for you. This moment of waiting, go, you know, I've operated under my own strength. Jesus, I love you and I need that empowering. This moment's for you. If you've never spoken in tongues, if you've never prophesied, whether you're at home group, at prayer meeting, or on a Sunday morning, if you've never known his power brings supernatural things about, this moment's for you. These next 30 days are for you. How much do you want it? That's a question. Have you got enough faith to pray now? Have you got enough longing to pray every morning? Jesus invites you, pray for it. Pray for it hard. Show God that you really understand that you need his ongoing empowering in your life. Now there's many in this room that know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're in Pentecost Church and we shove it down your throat as soon as we can. How spiritual are your lives at the moment if you know this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Do you sing out songs daily? Do you have gaps in the worship? And then you are going, and the new people that don't know who Jesus is are going, what is this? Is this some sort of sect? Who are you? Do you wait for the pauses in the songs so that you can hear the Holy Spirit, perhaps from a bit of scripture read, so that you can hear the Holy Spirit and bring something out? This meeting is supposed to be one where everyone brings something. One of the reasons I love not having a microphone, everyone is now invited. You're not here to be served. You're not here for me to do something nice for you. You're not here to be sort of revved up so you can get a week in the morning. It's a moment where we all get to bring what the Spirit touches our hearts and where we all get to say something. Do you constantly look for an opportunity to serve? Or do you moan and go, oh, I have to put the chairs away again? Do you long for me to stop so that perhaps the Holy Spirit can talk to you and you can bring something? Let me read the final passage for today, Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Ephesians chapter 5, very famous passage. 
says this in verse 15. Be careful. Everyone say careful. careful. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Did you know the days are evil? The days are evil then, and the days are evil now. We're not living in a utopia where everything's getting better. Did you know that? Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will for my life? How am I supposed to decide that? What on earth is the key to that? I've been longing for that ever, ever since I heard there was such a thing. And then verse 18 says this. Don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. We fill ourselves up on wine and we lose our heads. And God goes, I've got an alternative to that. This Holy Spirit. He comes in you and he changes you. Like a drunk man going down the street, he changes your outlook, your attitude. He gives you a freedom and buoyancy that you've never known. I've seen drunk people try some crazy things. I've seen uh, a drunk friend of mine try and run down every car parked alongside the Strand. He thought he was some sort of superhuman person. The Holy Spirit is someone that uh, encourages us to dream a little bigger, to take life by the horns, to go forward and do something incredible, to not live a life of, oh, I'm so oppressed and life is so bad, but I have the God, the Holy Spirit within me and I am a victor in his name. And he goes, be filled with the Spirit. And what does the Spirit lead you to? It doesn't lead you to jumping down cars on the strand. But it does lead you to this. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and the songs from the Spirit. Rarely is that sort of just everyday conversation. If I have a tea and coffee with you, um, we normally just won't start singing to each other. It's often for like a meeting scenario. You know, we come together and we sing and we choose psalms and hymns and uh, sing in the Spirit and sing. Listen to this. There's no... What an awesome faith we have. Little, just a little flourish at the end of verse 19. Sing. Make music from your heart to the Lord. Do you know why that doesn't have just to happen on a Sunday morning when Tim gets his guitar out? That can happen every day. Every day. And if you don't know any songs, YouTube's full of ones. Some of them less good than others. Sing and make music. Are you good at making music in your heart? Are you good at making music on your heart on a Wednesday morning when it's raining and you've got to go to work? Are you good at singing and making music in your heart on Thursday evenings where all you want to do is go to sleep? Well, the Holy Spirit helps that. Always give thanks to the Lord, to God the Father for everything in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you get to be thankful for. You get to be musical, you get to be joyful, and you get to be thankful. Some of us could learn from that, couldn't we? And we'd be a lot more enchanting to be around. And I think the light of Jesus would shine a little brighter. 
So we are to live carefully, righteously, lovingly, and we are to lean on the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. The word to be filled with is something that doesn't just happen as a one-off, it happens again and again, and Jesus would keep filling us with his Spirit. The baptism that you may have received, which saw bursting out in tongues, is not a one-off thing, it's something to happen again and again. And we prove that the Holy Spirit is filling us again and again when we have happy hearts, when we have a smile on our face. When someone comes to us and they go, uh, oh, how's life? And then we don't just list a litany of things that maybe the other person will not, which I've never asked. It's okay to have moments where things are not going well. But if every time someone speaks to you, you're going to give them all of the list of your aches and pains and all the trials and tribulations, you just suck the will out of everyone. And the Holy Spirit gives life. He doesn't suck it. The days are evil. They are. But we have the fullness of the Spirit in us and we are the light that it needs. We are the joy the world needs. We are the laughter that it craves. We are the song that it so desperately needs. And so we're going to spend the next 40 days waiting on the Holy Spirit together. We're going to be doing it on our Sunday mornings. We're going to be doing it in the home groups and we're going to be doing it in the prayer meetings. And we're going to use all this time to just say, Holy Spirit, we need more of you. I am not satisfied with the amount of Holy Spirit I have. I need enough so that it keeps on coming over, so that my work colleagues see that I have a joy in my heart that I just can't keep down. I have a joy in my heart so that my children, so that my grandparents, so that my parents, so that those around me go, oh, you've got something I want. And so when Pentecost comes in June, I would love it if we don't just celebrate it oh, it's a historical marker in the establishment of the church but it is the climax of this time of waiting on the Holy Spirit of asking Holy Spirit I want the fullness of the Christian life I don't want to scrape in by the skin of my teeth are those uh, famous mythical pearly gates when Peter says why should I let you into heaven I want them to swing wide because the reasons are very clear. And so I'm going to end uh, with a song, if I can work out how to turn on the uh, uh, speaker. And I just want you to just stand and you can join in or you can just allow the words to soak over us and then we're finished.